talking about the same thing. And I believe that God is present here to really, really minister to you and set you free. Let's turn back over to John chapter 14. This is where I started last night. And I got stuck on the first half of John 14, 1. We didn't even finish the whole scripture. Let not your heart be troubled. Man, that is powerful. And most people say you can't live that way. They just have a humanistic attitude that we're only mere human beings. And the point that I believe Jesus was saying, He knew the outcome. He knew things were going to work out. It was going to be okay. And He was telling them, just trust me. You know, they went through agony. They went through a lot of grief and pain. That it's understandable why they went through it. I'm not condemning them. But you know what? It was unnecessary. If they would have just trusted Jesus and they would have said, you know what, he's opened the blind eyes. We've seen him walk on water. We've seen him still the storms. We've seen Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead and Lazarus from the dead after being dead four days. And he says, I'm coming back from the dead. They'll crucify me, but just like Jonah, I'll rise the third day. You know what, that's really beyond human ability and it's understandable why they didn't believe but it was unnecessary. If they would have just been thinking about these things, they said, you know what? I'm just going to choose to trust Him. I'm going to choose to believe His words. They could have sat there and instead of having all of this discouragement and hurt and pain that went on in their life, they could have actually been sitting there saying, do you really believe this is possible? Is Jesus really coming back from the dead? We saw Him crucified. They could have been talking about this. They could have been in anticipation They could have actually had some excitement. They did not have to have the fear and the dread and the grief and the sorrow and the hurt. And brothers, I'm saying this in love, but we do not have to have the problems that we have in our life. Now, you can't keep problems from coming, but they don't have to get on the inside of you. You're going to go through some storms, but you don't have to let the storm on the inside of you. God has enabled us and we could go through our life and even though, man, everything around you is going bad, you could still be worshiping the Lord and praising God and shouting and having a good time. It is possible. And that's what the Lord is telling them. Let not your heart be troubled. And He's saying the same thing to us. So again, we've got to change our standard. We've got to recognize that we aren't just human. You know, some of the things that John was saying this morning were just profound and... and, um, Anyway, I'm not going to piggyback off of that or I'll re-preach it. But let me just say that, see, when I'm talking about that God is saying that we need to live here, in the natural, it's impossible to do that. But in the supernatural, the born-again part of you, you are supernatural. You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. That power is already there. And yet we're living our lives as if we're just mere mortals. But you aren't only human. There's a supernatural power on the inside of you. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and when it's describing God's kind of love, it says, love never fails. It bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. I couldn't tell you how many times I've had people come to me and say, I just can't bear anymore. And they start giving me all the things that have happened and talk, and they, they're listing all of these things to justify why they have just reached the end of their rope and they can't go any more. But the scripture says love bears all things. When you're saying I can't bear anymore, what you're saying is I am not walking in God. I haven't drawn on who I am in Christ. I'm living just by my own strength and power and I've come to the end of myself. Because God's kind of love bears all things. And I've heard people say, well, I I just lost my hope. And then they start telling you how many bad things have happened to justify why it's, it's okay for them to be hopeless. But God's kind of love hopes all things. How can I believe that this is going to work out? God's kind of love believes all things. It endures all things. People say, how much does God want me to endure? All things. God's kind of love endures all things. And I know that many of you are saying this is unreasonable. It is unreasonable. Like I said earlier, the Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible. 
It's impossible to turn the cheek to somebody who slaps you and say, slap the other side. When somebody spits in your face, when somebody ridicules you for you to turn around and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's impossible. And in the natural, if all you're going to do is is just live out of your own ability and power, the things that we're talking about are completely impossible. But did you know it is possible with God? It's normal Christian living. The Christian life, you should be supernatural. People ought to look at you and it ought to be supernatural. I remember one time some Jehovah Witnesses coming into my home and I was trying to talk to them and they were talking about all this stuff and they got to, and I mentioned something about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and boy, they just freak when you mention that. They, they, they believe that you're totally demon possessed and that miracles don't happen today and they got to saying something about that stuff doesn't happen. And I said, how can you tell me? I said, that couch you're sitting on is a miracle. I said, we didn't have anything, and somebody just supernaturally gave that to us. And I started pointing around. Our whole house, our whole life, everything is a miracle. My son raised from the dead. It's a miracle. And you know what? I just, how in the world can people say that you can't live this way when that's what my whole life is? I'm standing in front of people and talking to you, and I was an introvert, and I couldn't even look at a person in the face and talk to them, and now I speak to millions and millions of people. You're just too late to tell me that we have to live like a natural human being. Me standing in front of you is supernatural. This building is supernatural. It's paid for. All of this $3.2 million renovation was done without any uh, loan. It's a miracle. And I could just, I could show you miracle after miracle after miracle. There's miracles standing right, sitting right in this room. I tell you what, brothers, God does not want you to live just a human life. You need to be supernatural. So how do you do it? That's the second half of verse 1. He said, let not your heart be troubled. This is, this is, how do you do something like that? Believe. You believe in God, believe also in me. There's no coincidence that he said this radical statement that is just absolutely beyond anybody's ability to fulfill. And then he says... Believe. You know, people today, they use the word faith, and we talk about that we're in faith. And yet most people who talk about faith wouldn't recognize faith if it was to walk up and kiss them. What we call faith isn't faith. People say, they, they say, oh, I believe God can heal. That's not faith. Just to believe that He can do it. Faith is when you not only believe it, you know it, but I mean you trust it to such a degree that what God says to you is more real than what the doctor has to say to you. That you don't sit there and lay awake at night dreaming and thinking about your funeral because God has said that He'd take care of it. By His stripes you were healed and you just absolutely have no concern about it. It's taken care of. What I'm saying is we use the word faith, but very few of us really use it. And Jesus is, makes this radical statement about don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let things bother you. Don't worry about this. How can we do that? Just trust God. Just believe God. Believe that when He says that I'm going to take care of you, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Just believe that it's true. We can go home today. That's it. If you could just believe. But you know what? It's amazing how people say this and they don't really believe. You know, there's this friend of mine, Pastor Bob Nichols, and it's a long story, but he took a huge step of faith and with a hundred people moved into like a 200,000 square foot facility that was worth, uh, when it was all finished, worth $18 million, moved into it with a hundred people in his church, signed this paper that had balloon payments, And uh, I mean for like, I'm not sure the exact length of time, but I think it was at least seven years, could have been 15 years or something. He just was constantly having to renegotiate and refinance and avoid this balloon payment and that. And he just was on the verge of disaster all of the time and facing this. And and anyway, he, he was at a desperate situation and he went out one night and laid in a field. And just laid there all night long. And he says, God, I'm not leaving until you give me a word. And he laid there all night long praying in this field, seeking God. Oh, God, what do I do? God, how do I cope? 
And he laid there all night long and the sun started coming up and people were driving by and they could see him laying in the field. And so finally he just had to get up and and he hadn't heard from God. He'd been there all night long. And he got up and got back in his car and turned his car on. And as soon as he started the car, a voice said, Preacher, you don't have any problem. All you need is faith in God. And it was R.W. Schambach. That's the way he used to run his radio program. And he had left the radio on it when he started his car. All of a sudden that came out. But he, you know, at first he just instantly turned the car off and thought, God spoke to me. And then he said, oh, that was R.W. Schambach. But you know what? God had already made the impression. And the Lord spoke to him and he says, what you need is just to trust me. You see, he was wanting something else. He knew that God had promised him. God led him into this situation and God told him he'd take care of it. But God, look at, and he was looking at all the problems and he was needing something more than just trust in God. And the Lord basically just said, All you need to do is trust me. And you know what? It worked out. He not only got that facility completely paid for, but he got another facility over twice as good and has built a debt-free Christian school that houses hundreds of people. And I don't know what his facility's worth, but I bet you it's probably $30 or something. And it's all worked out because he just trusted God. He's debt-free. He owes no man anything. You know, there was a, there was a guy that was, uh, I'm not sure, I think he was Swedish, but anyway, he was from someplace northern Europe, and he went to um, Africa, and I had this guy speak at one of my meetings, and this guy was just, there was nothing special about this guy, but what he did was absolutely miraculous. You just looked at him and wondered, how could God use somebody like this? Because he was, he was boring, <laughs> kind of like me, Amen. There's a lot of people that just think this guy isn't even excited about the Lord. He's not screaming or shouting and people think, how could God use him? But anyway, this guy, Walter was his name and he went to Africa and he started like 1,500 churches and had this huge ministry and just, it was amazing the things that happened. And of course, there was a lot of expense and a lot of need. And one time he was out in the field praying in Africa and just crying out, oh God, oh God, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to do this? And he said that a voice came that was so loud, it shook the ground. It was like an earthquake. The trees shook. And God spoke and said, Walter, isn't my word enough for you? And God had already told him that he would take care of him. God had given him word that I'll supply all of your need. And he was facing these problems and he was just needing something more. And God said, isn't my word enough? And boy, Walter apologized, repented, God forgive me. You know, the bottom line is you can justify this any way you want to. But the reason our heart is troubled because we don't believe God. God has promised us that he's going to take care of you. God has said he'd heal your body. God has said that he would bless what you set your hand unto. That nothing would ever work against you. No weapon formed against you. That man, they'll come out against you seven ways. That doesn't say, see, that you won't have problems. They will come against you. But they will flee seven ways for every one way that they come against you. God has promised you victory. I don't care. You could come up to me and tell me any situation you want to. Tell me how bad your situation is. And there is an answer. There is a promise that would deal with what you're dealing with. God has already promised us. But the bottom line is we just don't trust what God has said. And that's the reason that our heart has been troubled. We get to where we look in the natural realm and don't recognize the presence of God with us. Brothers, I'm telling you that God is with you. There are some of you that in the natural, people are telling you that you're a failure, that nothing is working. But God says that He'd never leave you nor forsake you. Having God Almighty with you is more than enough to deal with whatever problem that's come your way if you just trusted Him. But see, everything that God is and has all comes through faith. You have to believe Him. You have to trust Him. You have to get to a place to where when you're standing absolute failure in the face, you're going to sit there and say, I am not going to let my heart be troubled. God has promised me victory 
and I'm willing to die trusting God if that's what it takes. And you know what? There's just not a lot of people that will really do that. People talk about it, but there's not a lot of people that will do it. You have to get to a place to where honestly you trust God more than you trust what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. There is a spiritual world that exists. There is a spiritual you that exists that you can't see in the mirror. That you can't take a test. Nobody can test you and and find these things out. But there is a spiritual part of you that you can only really get in touch with by reading what's going on in the Word and what the Word says about you. And every one of you in here is able to overcome. God never made a piece of junk. God never made a failure. God never made a person an introvert like what I was. That was me because of my own thinking and stuff. And God has set me free from that and has set me free from all of the problems that went with being an introvert. And I'm able to do things that I couldn't have done before. There are many of you that have just embraced failure in things and this is the way it is. I'm telling you that there is a new person on the inside just wanting to get out. And I believe that God is challenging you this week and telling you that you can. You can do things that you couldn't do before. There's some of you that when you ask God, what do you want me to do? You have a very limited area that you will even entertain that possibly this is God because after all, you don't have this gifting and you don't have that gifting and so you just limit God. I I can only do a few things. You need to take all of the limits off of God and recognize that maybe God is calling you to do something that is absolutely the weakest area in your whole life because He wants to flow through you supernaturally. You just need to take the limits off God and begin to believe God for supernatural things. Look over in the 24th chapter of the book of Luke, and I want to illustrate this through what happened to Jesus' disciples after His resurrection. And in Luke chapter 24, this is where He rose from the dead. He appeared unto the women. Peter and John ran to the tomb, and John went in and saw the linen napkin laying there folded, but the body was gone. They had evidence. They had proof that Jesus was raised from the dead. And yet, they were still struggling with how could this be? And so in the 24th chapter of Luke, and in verse 13, it says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs, seven miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. This is amazing. Here they were. These are two of his disciples. One of them was named Cephas, which is another name for Peter. And, uh, you know, I don't know for sure, but it appears to me that one of these might have been Peter. Uh, We don't know, but they were one of the disciples. And after Jesus had made himself known, they immediately ran back to Jerusalem and went to the 12 apostles and said, we've seen Jesus. So they were definitely some of the inner circle. I'm not sure that it was the the Cephas that was Peter, but it was one of the inner circle. People that knew Jesus, that had spent three and a half years with him, had been very close to him. And Jesus himself, raised from the dead, walked up to them and walked seven miles with them and talked to them, and they never realized it was Jesus. That is absolutely astounding. And you know what? I've got ten messages from this passage. I don't know which one to share with you right now. (laughs) But let me just just say, look at this passage over in Mark chapter 16. We'll come back to Luke. But in Mark chapter 16, this is the same story recorded in Mark's gospel and it's reduced to just one verse. Mark chapter 16 in verse 12, it says, After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. So this whole thing that takes like 40 verses to record in Luke is summed up in one verse in Mark chapter 16 and it says he appeared in another form. What do you think that means? The word form means shape, figuratively sense, or nature. 
This doesn't mean that he appeared like a dog or a cat or a cow or that he had another person's feature. Because right after this, he appeared unto the 12 disciples or the 11 disciples that were left and he walked up to John, in, I mean uh, to Thomas in John chapter 20 and he says, put your finger into the print of the nails. Put your hand into my side and be not faithless but believing. He still had the scars of crucifixion. It wasn't a different body. He didn't look different. And yet, they didn't recognize him because he was in another form. And I have, I'm not going to take the time right now, but if you went to every single resurrection appearance of Jesus to his disciples, they didn't recognize him. They struggled to recognize him. Sometimes it's subtle. Like when he appeared to Mary Magdalene and she was at the tomb weeping and he came up and he says, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, because they've taken my Lord away. And you might think that she just wasn't looking at him or maybe she was crying so loud that she didn't hear his voice or something. And finally he says, Mary. And she goes, Rabboni. And all of a sudden she recognized him. It's a little bit subtle, but if you will look at all of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, His disciples had trouble recognizing Him. In the 21st chapter, I believe it is, of John, they were all out fishing. And He says, have you any meat? And they said, no. And He says, cast your net on the other side. The same thing that He had done before in Luke chapter 5. And all of a sudden, they got so many fish that the boat began to sink. And they brought it to the shore and there was like 173 fish in there. And they came and he already had a fire built and he was uh, cooking fish. And they sat down and ate. And it says, let me just read this to you so that I don't misquote it. But I think it's John chapter 21. Jesus said unto them in verse 12, come and dine. And none of his disciples durst ask him, who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Why is this even put in here? If you were sitting here, if I was sitting there with Gary, and if we were just three or four feet across, looking at him across a fire pit where he was cooking something, and I looked at him and I said, you know what, I'm not even going to ask if this is Gary. Why would you even think that? Because this is Gary. You don't even think that way. The very fact that it's mentioned in here that they wouldn't ask who he was, because they knew it was Jesus. It shows that they didn't recognize him. And yet they did recognize him, not by the way he looked, but by the things that he did. Cast your net on the other side, and he caught all of these fish. And he just supernaturally had fish there for him. They recognized these kind of things. You know, here's the clincher for me. Still got, I got my finger in five or six different places here. But in Matthew chapter 28, look at this passage of Scripture. This is after his resurrection, his very last instructions to his disciples. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16, it says, And then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Look in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples. This means it was the inner circle, the inner core the people that had been with him day and night for three and a half years, Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Andrew, all of the disciples, the 11 disciples saw him. This isn't the 70 or the 120 or any of these others. The 11 disciples that knew him so well saw him and some of them worshiped and some of the 11 disciples doubted that this was Jesus. He was risen from the dead, standing before them in the flesh. And some of them were looking at him and doubting that he was really alive. I don't know if that does anything for you, but that just astounds me. People think, oh, if I could have seen Jesus resurrected from the dead, if I could see this, if I could see that. That's not what causes you to believe. You remember the... Um, Rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, and he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he could go witness to my brothers so that they don't come into this terrible place. And he says, they have Moses and the prophet. And he said, oh, they won't believe the word, but if somebody rose from the dead, then they'd believe. And 
And, and Abraham said, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they would not believe though one is raised from the dead. The Bible says faith comes by hearing the word. We think, oh no, if I could see this miracle, if I could have this, if I had a goosebump, if I got a prophecy, if I had this, then I'd believe. You're just spitting in the wind. You're just blowing smoke. You're always going to wait on something else to make you believe. But you know what? Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And here was people looking at the resurrected Jesus and still didn't believe. Amen. You know why? When it says that He appeared in another form, you know what that form was? Again, He still looked the same. But He was now in a spiritual body, not a physical body. And I don't know if I can get this across. This usually takes more time than what I'm going to devote to it. But you can only perceive spiritual things by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You can only discern spiritual things by the Spirit, not by the flesh, not by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And herein lies the problem why most of us have trouble trusting and believing God is because we are carnal. Carnal doesn't necessarily mean terrible or sinful. All sin is carnal, but did you know just being a nice person is carnal? Carnal just means all of the five senses. It just means you're dominated by the natural realm. And these disciples, it says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. I'm just going to have to take my finger out of some of these places. Let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. The apostle Paul said, Therefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. I wish I had time to put all of this in context, but he started in the fourth chapter, verse 18, saying we see things that can't be seen. We're looking at things that you can't see. People think, what does that mean? If you can't see it, how do you see it? You can see with your heart. You can see things by faith. God didn't make man to be as dead and dull as what people are today. We have fallen from what God intended us to be. God originally made us so that you could see with your heart. So that you could know things that you can't know with your little peanut brain. That you could just be led by your spirit instead of just led by just emotions and physical things. And this is what Paul is talking about. We see things that you can't see. And then he talks about we are absolutely confident that if we were to die, we have a new house, a new body prepared for the Lord. And he says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Did you know that that's not descriptive of the average Christian? It should be, but most of us walk by sight and not by faith. But Paul is saying we walk by faith and not by sight. And that's the reason that he could be beaten and hurting and put in the prison, in the bottom of the prison, its feet and hands in the stocks, and everything about it, everything in the natural was absolutely wrong, and he broke out into song and started praising God at midnight. And he wasn't just praising God so he could get out of the stocks, because when the earthquake came and he was released from the stocks and the jail door was open, he didn't leave. Nobody left. They stayed. Radical thought. They weren't praising God to get something. They were actually praising God because they loved God. And when they were offered escape, they didn't leave. He was seeing things by faith. He was doing something more than feeling the stripes on his back. He could feel things in his heart. He was in tune. This is the way that God created us to be. And Paul said, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so that's the background. And then he says, wherefore henceforth know we no man... After the flesh, yea, though we, after we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Did you know that every bit of prejudice, every bit of all of this class warfare and everything that goes on between people, all of it comes because people are walking like mere human beings and they just evaluate you based on what you look like on the outside, whether you're white or black or green or pink or whatever it is, and they look at the outside and the way your hair is combed and whether you're dressed fancy or whether you're dressed in poor clothes. 
Paul said, we don't know any man that way. He didn't evaluate anybody just based on the flesh, whether they looked like they were buff and strong or if they were weak. He didn't know anybody that way. He knew people heart to heart. He saw what was on the inside of a person. That's how he dealt with people. That's the way he knew people. And he says, at one time, we knew Jesus after the flesh. But we don't know him that way anymore. At one time, these disciples could have told you what Jesus looked like, what color his hair was, how long it was, what color his eyes were, what he smelt like. You know, Jesus didn't uh, carry a suitcase with him. They didn't stay in a Holiday Inn every night. He didn't take a bath every day. If you've ever been over to the Middle East and you go around, you can smell people coming. Especially if it's hot on a bus or something like that. And you know what? All of us have a smell. They could have told, they were so familiar with him, they could tell you what he smelled like. They could recognize him from a distance. If they couldn't make out his face, they could tell you just by his body language. They knew him in the natural, but they didn't know him spiritually. In John chapter 14, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Philip turns right around and says, Lord, show us the Father and it'll satisfy us. He just had said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he's, oh, show us the Father. Totally missed it. He says, I'm not satisfied with you, but if I could see the Father, if you could open up the heaven and if we could see Jesus, God sitting on the right hand of God, we'd be satisfied or God sitting on the throne, we'd be satisfied. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, they couldn't see who he really was. All they could see was the earth suit that he was wearing that allowed him to function here in this life. This physical body is not the real us. The real Jesus was God. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's like he just pulled back this veil and all of a sudden the glory of God shone out of him. They didn't know him that way. They knew him after the flesh. You know, John at the Last Supper, they didn't sit at chairs. They reclined on the floor and had pillows on a very low table. And it says that during the Last Supper that John literally put his head over on Jesus' chest and leaned on him. And there was nothing wrong with that. Jesus loved him. He loved Jesus. And it was just a friendship and an affection, and there was nothing wrong with it. It was good. But did you know that that same John in Revelation chapter 1 saw Jesus glorified, and his eyes were like flames of fire, and when he spoke, it was like Niagara Falls, the sound of many waters, and his feet were as polished brash, and he had had this radiance shining out. And the same one who had put his head over on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper, now fell at the feet of Jesus as if he was dead. Did you know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He didn't change. This awesome display of who Jesus was. Did you know Jesus was exactly the same when John put his head on there, but John didn't perceive him that way. All he saw was the flesh. All he knew him as was this physical being. And Paul is saying that all of them at one time knew Jesus by the flesh. They could tell you what he looked like, what he smelled like, what he looked like, what his body language was, but they didn't ever know him by the Spirit. And this is the reason that when he was raised from the dead, nobody recognized him because even though he still had a body, it wasn't just physical, it was a spiritual body. It still had flesh and bones. He says... Touch me and feel, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. He had a physical body. It still looked the same. He still had the print of the nails, but it had to be spiritually discerned. I'm not sure that people can understand this because, again, we are so trapped in the natural that we only use our five senses. Most of us don't use our sixth sense of faith. And we don't know very much by the spirit. We think that if you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel it, it's not real. But God created us to know things by our spirit. And this is what Paul is talking about, that he sees things that can't see. He walks by faith and not by sight. He doesn't know people just based on the external. And you have to know God heart to heart. And there's a lot of us that don't know God heart to heart. There's a lot of us that are just walking by the natural. And this is the reason that our heart is troubled because we haven't believed God. We have information. But you know what? We aren't seeing and perceiving. These disciples in Luke chapter 24, 
You know why they couldn't recognize him? It says in the previous verse, it's, it says in verse 16 that their eyes were holden, that they could not know him. And you know why their eyes were holden? In the previous verse, verse 15, it says that they walked together and communed. What were they communing about? About all of the reports that Jesus was raised from the dead, that the women had said that he wasn't at the tomb that they had seen angels. They were talking about the right things. They communed together and reasoned. You know what reasoning is? It's just your brain. They weren't listening with their heart. If they would have been listening, the Holy Spirit would have told them, it's true, everything Jesus prophesied is true. But man, they were just, they were just carnal. They were limited to where, how can this be? I've never seen this before. And they were operating only in their natural human ability instead of walking by faith. And that's the reason that they didn't recognize Him. And they walked seven miles with Him. You know, at a normal pace, it would take two hours or more. Two to three hours to walk seven miles. And during this period of time, they talked with Him. And Jesus began to start rebuking them. In verse, I'm going to skip down through some of this, but in verse 25, Then said he unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? He called them fools. Slow of heart to believe. Not slow of head. Slow of heart. It's with your heart that man believes unto righteousness. Romans 10 Verse uh, 10, I believe it is. And then in the next verse it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And he began to teach them through the word. Here they were with Jesus physically standing there, and yet they couldn't recognize him. They didn't perceive. And you know how he got them to perceive who he was? He started sharing the word with them. He showed them through the Word that Jesus had to die. Jesus had to be crucified. He had to become a curse. He had to bear our sins. He explained all of this in the Word unto Him. And it says in the next verse that they drew nigh to the village whether they went and He made as though He would have gone further. Boy, here, this is a great truth. This same thing happened in the 14th chapter when the disciples were in a boat and it looked like they were going to drown. And he came walking on the water and it says he would, he made as though he would have passed by them. It was obvious that the reason he came out there was to help them and to bring them deliverance. But he appeared to them, he manifested himself. But you know what? God is not going to kick the door down. God is not going to come in and just rescue you automatically. You have to reach out and make a demand. He would have walked by them, but they cried out to him. And so he responded. Here, it was obvious that he came so that he could help these disciples believe that he was alive from the dead. And yet, he wasn't going to just impose on them and force his way in and spend time with them. He made as though he was just going to keep on going and they could have let him go. When the burning bush happened... You know, God didn't call to Moses out of the burning bush until Moses turned aside and interrupted his daily schedule and said, I'm going to see this great sight. You know what? God is speaking to people right here today. And He's touching your heart. But He's not going to force you. There are people right here that you God can be touching you today and you could be having something stirring in your heart. But you could go home and you can go right back to being the way that you were. God will not force you to change. He will let you stay carnal. He'll let you live a defeated life. He'll let you rationalize this away and talk yourself out of it. He's not going to force anybody in here to change. But like it says in 2 Chronicles 16, 19, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show Himself strong in behalf of those who are perfect in His sight. God won't force you to change, but God is here looking for a few good men. He's looking and saying, is there anybody who will take this and turn aside and listen and say, no, we aren't going to let you pass. Man, we want this. We want to walk in it. He made as though he would have gone further in verse 29, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as they sat at meat with him, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave unto them. 
communion. This is what he had done with them, the last meal that he had had with them. He, you know how all of a sudden their eyes were open? It says in the next verse, and their eyes were open. You know how their eyes were open? This isn't talking about their physical eyes. Their physical eyes had already been open. They had been looking at him, but the eyes of their heart were open. And all of a sudden, they realized that this is Jesus. Not because they recognized the color of his hair, the length of his hair, the color of his eyes. It's because they realized, man, this is exactly what Jesus did as he took communion and broke the bread. They knew him by the Spirit. And look at this. It says, their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. Did you know the moment you get to where you can see Jesus with your heart, you don't need to see him with your eyes. Seeing with your heart is better than seeing with your eyes. It's more vivid. It's more real. It impacts you more. And yet most of us don't see very much with our heart which is what faith is. Faith is just the ability to see something with your heart outside of this natural realm. Let not your heart be troubled. How can we do that? By just starting to operate from your heart and trust Jesus and see things with your heart instead of going by what you see with your eyes. It's really that simple. How does that faith come? He opened the Word and told them all of these things and then when they begin to have communion with Him... And interact with him, all of a sudden the eyes of their heart were open and they saw. And the moment they saw, he vanished. You know, we were having a, um, what we call a CBC weekend where we invite people in and come check out the school and stuff. And we were, this is men and women, and, and we were rented a hotel, had about 300 people there. And we had a center aisle just like this, and I was sitting right in that seat and my wife was up worshiping the Lord and the power of God was just so awesome that we didn't know what to do. Nobody wanted to do anything else. She was up there just singing and we were just basking in the presence of the Lord. And I was standing there with my eyes closed and with my eyes closed, I didn't see this with my physical eyes, but in my heart, I saw Jesus walk in these two doors. There was double doors over here in this hotel and I saw him just pull these doors open like that. And then he stood there and he stepped in and all of a sudden those doors just closed behind him real slowly. And then there was these ladies from Chicago, from our school in Chicago over here, and he walked up to one and just barely touched her on the forehead. And I mean, she fell flat on her face, spread eagle like this, just out on the floor. And then he skipped two people and he walked over and touched this next woman and she fell to her knees and lifted her hands And I mean, Jesus was just walking through the crowd, touching people. And what I was seeing in my heart was so real that I actually opened my eyes to see if I could see it. And I looked over there, and at the moment I opened my eyes, those doors just went wham like that and slammed open. But I couldn't see Jesus, but I could see the doors open. And then they just slowly started to close. And as I kept looking, all of a sudden... Gail over here just fell spread eagle, flat on the floor. And then the next woman just hit her knees and started lifting her hands. And everything I was seeing in my heart, I could see the physical results of it. It was like what I was seeing in my heart was real, real. It was really real. Except it was delayed about 15 or 20 seconds. And I couldn't see Jesus. All I could see was the physical response, the things that were happening in the natural. And you know what I did? I closed my eyes because I could see better with my heart than I could see with my eyes. And I saw Jesus walk over and minister to me and say things to me. And then I saw him walk down the aisle and just touch people. And after the service was over, I didn't tell people what I'd seen. I just went up and asked this person that I saw Jesus minister to. And I said, did the Lord touch you during this service? Oh, yes. And they started telling me exactly what I'd seen. Did you know you can get to where you see better with your heart than you see with your eyes? I saw this building finished when there was nothing here. This used to be a chemical thing. They had a big old vat right over in there, and there were these huge doors that went all the way up to the roof. And you know what? I saw this. I designed this and drew this. I put plywood up here on buckets and stood in this exact spot and preached to people when nobody was in this room. 
Some of you think that's weird. I think you're weird. <laughs> this is the way that God made us to be so that you can see things with your heart. Right now, I see a $40 million building on this property. I see it. I've got it. I can see things in my heart. Brothers, God made us to live by faith. And we look, we spend so much time in the natural. We feed our flesh so much. We listen to the junk of this world so much that it limits our sensitivity and our perception of the spirit realm. But you know what? Just as surely as Jesus walked with those disciples and they were sad with the resurrected Jesus standing right there in between them and they were sad, because, not because God hadn't come through, but because they hadn't perceived it. They were in the natural and their eyes were holding and they couldn't see and perceive spiritual things. I'm telling you that if you are sad today, if you're struggling, if you're discouraged, if your heart is troubled, the bottom line is it's because you aren't perceiving Jesus. He's with you. Jesus is with you. He's there with you every step of the way. The whole time that you're sitting there praying, oh God, I'm so depressed, where are you? He's right there. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. God's not wringing His hands wondering how He's going to pull this one out. God's well in control. It's only your perception that's wrong. And what we need to do is go to the Word. We need to turn off that boob tube and get to where we spend some time in the Word of God. And just like Jesus, He started showing them in Scripture and then they took communion with Him. And their eyes were open. If you would get into the Word of God and get the right information and then go to meditating on it to where you have communion with that and it begins to interact with you and it becomes alive, your eyes of your heart would be open. You could see. And all, you know what the results would be? Your heart wouldn't be troubled. Amen. There's people that think I ought to be troubled. I'm starting on a $40 million project. And there's people that think something's wrong with you. You aren't facing reality. I'm facing reality. It's them that's not facing reality. I'm just seeing a reality that they can't see. But it's real. And it exists. Man, God's got an awesome plan for every one of you. And I don't know every person in here, but I just know this, that most people are not even coming close to reaching their full potential. They're living a substandard life. You know, a friend of mine says that if you aren't living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. You need to be out on the edge. You need to do something so that when you die, somebody would miss you. You need to make your life count. And I can guarantee you, God made every one of us for greatness. Now, that's, it varies from person to person. God doesn't want every person to be worldwide known or something like that. But you have a world that God wants you to influence your world. God wants you to take control of that thing. And the good news is He's already put that power on the inside of you. But when we let our heart be troubled, when we're going around in fear and bearing hurts and pains and not getting over it and not appropriating what God has done for us, you are limiting the Holy One of Israel. You are keeping Him from doing what He wants to do in your life. And man, we've got to get the eyes of our heart opened up so that we can see what our potential is and how God wants us to deal with this. We've got to start walking in faith. You know the antidote to letting your heart be troubled? Believe. Just trust God. Whatever's troubling you, there's a promise that gives you victory. And if that promise hasn't calmed the storm that's in your heart, it's because you aren't believing it. So take that word and just start believing it. Start meditating on it until it literally changes things. And as you commune with this, your eyes of your heart will be open and you'll begin to see. And once you see, it's, it's no big deal. Once you start walking by faith, I guarantee you it's infinitely superior to walking by sight. It's much better than being troubled and fearful and thinking I'm nobody and how could I do this. Man, I would highly recommend it. Boy, if this many men 
left this conference, and if you got what I was talking about and started seeing with your heart and not being just human and natural, but you started overcoming these things by the power of the Lord, and if, if every man here went out and reached your full potential, it would change this nation. I can guarantee you that. It would change multiple nations. That's the power that's on the inside of every one of us. It's like an atom. There is so much power in that that you can split an atom and this huge bomb goes off that releases tremendous power. Every person in here has huge potential, but very few people release it because we let our heart be troubled. We think I'm only human. We walk by sight instead of by faith. Man, we can change that. And you know how you do it? You get into the Word. Start having communion with it to where it's not just intellectual knowledge, but it really starts imparting life to you. And the eyes of your understanding will be open. And you can see. And it'll change your life. Isn't that awesome? You know, I've got to let you go, but I just can't help. But we've got to do something. Faith without works is dead. So let me just say this. If you're one of those that realizes, man, I've been walking by sight and not by faith. The eyes of my heart are closed. I've been blind. I need my heart. The eyes of my heart opened up and, man, I want to receive this. Let me just pray for you real quickly. If that's you, I want you to stand right where you are. And I'm going to lead you in prayer and we're going to pray and believe that God opens the eyes of our heart. If this is you, just stand as a way of saying that that's me. I've been walking carnally and not by faith and I'm going to receive right now Father we love you and we thank you Father for the truth thank you for these truths Father thank you that you have made us with so much more potential than what we've ever operated in Father forgive us for squandering this power this new life Father forgive us for all of these years and relationships that have been wasted because we haven't known who we are. And Father, we receive this truth today. These people have stood. They've humbled themselves. And the Bible says that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that you will exalt us in due time. Father, we have stood. We've humbled ourselves. And I believe that there is a miracle taking place. That the Holy Spirit is touching our hearts. That through this interaction of the Word today and the Holy Spirit, that our, our eyes will be opened. And we'll see you and we'll see your answer to our problem and we will see your supply and we'll see things differently than we've been seeing with our natural mind. Father, I believe that you are doing a miracle and that people's hearts are opened up, that all of a sudden we can see a way through our problems, a way to fulfill these things. I believe that God is speaking to some of you right now and putting dreams and things in your heart that in the past you've rejected. And yet God is opening up the eyes of your heart and showing you things that He wants you to do. Things that may be completely impossible to you, but they are possible with God. Father, we just release this, and I thank you that you're changing hearts, that we will not be the same when we leave this place. And Father, we thank you for it. And we believe that you are faithful and just to complete the good work that you've begun in us. So we thank you that it's not just a momentary thing. Thank you it goes and it continues and grows and develops. We agree and receive.